Hi, everybody. Welcome to Ancient Heroes. I'm Patrick Garvey, and today I'm excited to be with Joe Goodkin, who is a Chicago-based musician who has adapted Homer's epic poems into original music and performed at universities in all 50 U.S. states and internationally. His most recent adaptation is called The Blues of Achilles, and it is inspired by the Iliad, of course. Um, and it's just awesome to be with you today, Joe. Uh, we were just talking a little bit before the interview, but um, last night I did a deeper dive into some of the music and I didn't know what to expect really. And I, I'm good. I'm getting into it and, you know, just winding down the, the weekend and was basically like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I called my wife in who was doing some tasks in the other room. And I was like, you've got to hear this. Uh, and she was really, uh, impressed by it as well. And I must've listened to a few of the songs five or six times just last night. Um, so uh, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's great to have you on and, um, I'd like to just hear a little bit more before we jump into some of the music and hear you perform a little bit. I'd like to hear a little bit more about you and your background and how you got into all this. Yeah. Well, thanks uh, so much for having me. This is finding good forums for this type of work is of course challenging always, although maybe a little easier now that we have Hadestown and we have some other some some classical receptions that have sort of taken off in the popular eye in the last 10 or 15 years it's definitely gotten a little bit easier in some sense but this this is um thanks for having me in this is such a great a great environment to talk about this work and i really appreciate your enthusiasm and and your streaming that's really good too so i majored in classics at wisconsin madison sort of accidentally i took some ancient greek my first semester freshman year, fell in love with the language, kind of lit my brain up and went through the whole sequence of ancient Greek courses, uh, studied Homer, got to read Homer in Greek, uh, wound up a classics major, did some Latin too, did all the normal things you do like myth classes and archaeology classes. And not long after I graduated, I had the notion to try to take some of the enthusiasm I had as an undergrad, some of the passion, some of the, um, how, how the material had moved me and represent some of the epic stories back into their original song mode. I was really taken by the idea that the roots of these poems we read in text were actually song performances, pre, pre-literature, you know, they span pre-writing, they span when we couldn't write to when we could write really. Um, and I thought imagining these stories in performance of any kind, but especially song, is a totally different experience from reading it as a text, as a, mm. as a storyteller, as a performer. Um, it, you, you have access to different storytelling tools if you get that oral component, if you get that sound and music component. You know, music acts on the brain in a way differently from just text. It enters our, enters our brain and it triggers our emotions differently. There's nothing wrong with text. But when you add that layer of performance and music, it just makes the... I think of it almost like the fact that the statues we have are, are all white now and they were colored. You know, to me, the epics were colored. They were full of all these wild colors that don't come across necessarily as well in text. I'm glad we have the text because otherwise we wouldn't have the yeah. story. So I thought, how can I try to bring my audience along into that world a little bit and create this parallel experience that an, that an ancient audience might have had and use the music to... I don't know, flesh out the characters uh, in, in more three-dimensional ways for a modern audience. Some of the hurdles for getting into this work are that they seem strange, because they are strange. <laughs> they seem uh, foreign, you know, uh, by 
by virtue of the culture that they're from. But really, the reason they still move us is because of these universal human emotions and experiences and characteristics. So I thought music would be a really good way to, tr to try to bring audiences to that. And so I wrote a 24-song adaptation of The Odyssey. And um, for about 16, 17 years, I took that all around the country and the world. I got really lucky. I got to travel to Greece and perform it. Um, and as you did said in your introduction, I eventually hit all 50 states. Mm. But the Iliad was sort of hanging over me at that point. I had this, this, this piece of the Odyssey, and the first question was always, what are you going to do? When are you going to do the same thing for the Iliad? And what I realized was that I was avoiding the Iliad because it was a harder story for me to write about. It was a harder story for me to access. It was a harder, I think it's a harder story for people to take in because of the characters and what's at stake for them and some of the themes. It's not that the Odyssey is light. It just presents a little bit easier entry point for the way I think and the way I write, certainly the way I did when I was like 24 years old. Um, and so I eventually worked my way into creating this, this piece we're going to talk more about, The Blues of Achilles, which is 17 songs that tell the story sort of from a first-person point of view. I thought because we're used to first-person songs in, in, in the music genre, I would try to access this familiar format for modern audiences and hope that that also would help them bypass some of the, some of the strangeness and, and difficulty. So, and then that, I premiered the blues of Achilles on March 2nd, 2020 uh, in mm. San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Not a great week for, yeah. <laughs> and then it, uh, the rest of the year got changed by the pandemic. I wound up having to cancel a lot of live shows. I had these tours booked and, I was really lucky in that colleges and universities were all virtual at that point for the next, certainly the next semester, but really the, the next year. So I worked with these performances a lot over Zoom. I was able to, to really keep, keep going and develop my, the, the pieces more and develop my audience more and reach a lot more people, frankly, even if the, the technology was, was not what I imagined. It was a real insight into the way I framed it for myself was I was shifting mediums, like just like these poems got shifted from oral to, to literary. I, I was going from in-person to virtual, and, right. and I got to see how um, a paradigm or a medium shift affected my storytelling. So I, I, I tried to frame it in a way that I could relate it to the material that I was using. Yeah, and I, I really want to pick up on that point you made. It's it's, it really did listening last night. It felt like I was hearing something new, a new way of expressing these stories because we, we have the, the text, the ancient texts, yep. and now we have a lot of different novel adaptations and film adaptations and things like that. But where we really don't have as much is in this original music category that you're getting into. And I was sitting there you know, like I said, at the end of the day, um, and just thinking about the week and it just took me into a completely different headspace, listening to this music where I kind of had to stop everything and stop my plans that I was, you know, my to-do list for the night and just listen to some of this music for a while. Yeah. Um, so it really, uh, really impressive. And it really did as someone who looks at the Iliad a lot and these ancient stories and all this stuff, it felt like something totally new kind of out of nowhere. Um, so I, I really appreciate that. Um, why don't we hear, uh, why don't we hear a song? We're going to try to listen to two or three songs over the course of the interview. Um, and the, uh, and we're going to try to do it live uh, and see how that works. And so the first song 
uh, really is my request. <laughs> and then we'll do a couple of your choices as well. But, um, this first one is from blues of Achilles and it's called what kind of love. Yeah. And, that, and that's kind of cool to me because if you look at even, you know, like book, uh, eight of the Odyssey, you know, Odysseus goes up and requests a song from Demodocus, right? I mean, he says like, sing the one about whatever, you know? So like, I always look for they're Oftentimes they're really simple. They're, they're simple parallels that, um, model or, 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 or evoke the, the past really. I mean, it's funny. You thought it was new. I love that. To me, it's like old, like I'm a, yeah. I'm a, I'm a bard with a stringed instrument. I, I always like to point out in performances too, that the, the word kithara, which is what Homeric bard would have played the stringed instrument etymologically becomes the word guitar. It's connected to the word guitar. So mm. one person with a guitar is about as close to one person with a kithara, you know, as you can get, uh, yeah. um, semantically and otherwise. So let's see, um, let's see how this, uh, what kind of love goes. This is, um, Patrick was singing to Achilles right before he goes out, uh, on the battlefield. So. What kind of love is deeper than the sea? Stronger than the iron of a shield Born in the heart And brighter than the sun So certain that it will never yield What kind of love Goes higher than the sky Somewhere out beyond the broken blue Underneath my skin and darker than the night That's my love for you Well, I will gladly wear your sorrow Like armor clasped around my chest I will lead your troops to battle As surely as the sun sets in the west kind of love is older than the earth and sweeter than the promises of youth falling in my tears and dripping in my sweat that's my love for you I will gladly ah sorry I lost my place <laughs> Um, do you, let me go. That was again. awesome. No, 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 no. Um, no, that was incredible. Uh, wow. Uh, I don't, I don't think, I, I think you covered most of the song there. All right. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, wow. It's so weird. I'm not used to jumping in, in the middle. Like that song comes like eighth or ninth in the show. So it's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Accessing the emotions and like the connection to it right off the bat cold is kind of cool. Uh, that song, almost put puts me into tears hearing it i mean that's an incredible piece thank you um thank you. Uh, wow maybe, maybe we'll do it as a teaser so then people can go stream it here the rest yeah of yeah exactly Cause it, cause, um, uh, and, yeah and i should say all of this is available on spotify and uh i would assume the other major music outlets and um, things like that. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a vinyl head, uh, I saw a vinyl edition of it through my website too. Um, it was oh, actually wow. recorded live to analog tape all in one day by a guy named Steve Albini, who's a kind of a famous analog engineer who did the second Nirvana album, who did the Pixies, who's done 
Jason Molina. He's it was really cool to work with him. I wanted a rawness and uh, a process that harkened back to the early blues recordings, which you don't hear a lot of analog recording anymore. It's mostly digital. I mean, it's clearly digital if you're streaming it. But if you want an analog version, there is a vinyl, a really cool vinyl edition that I saw through my website. So, yeah, awesome. And I think the way that you like like you said, with the stringed instruments and uh, doing it as one performer, kind of the acoustic element of it, um, it really hits the nail on the head with, uh, I, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, I, I hadn't thought about this before, but it, it really, it does seem like it, it's both new and fresh take on it, but it also is exactly the kind of thing they could have been hearing thousands of years ago. Um, so, uh, well, can you tell us a little bit about the, um, reception you've gotten on universities and how it's resonating with audiences? Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Cause like, I think I mentioned when we talked before that song is, I mean, to me, the whole performance kind of hinges a little bit on that song. If you, you know, the story of the Iliad, I think turns on your emotional investment in the story turns on you believing that Achilles has lost the most important thing in his life because Mm. of his own behavior. And I think modern audiences that I've had, especially in colleges have something that I didn't have when I read this in college, which is they have these receptions. Like you mentioned, they have the song of Achilles. They have much more prevalent popular culture receptions than I did in the mid nineties. Like I had nothing, like I didn't bring anything to this story and it was hard because of it. So I think that, it's cool as a bard because Homeric audiences would have brought all this knowledge of the story to, to bardic performances. A bard would not have to mm. explain to them all the narrative details. The, the audience knows what's going to happen, right? And that's a, there's a freedom as a performer. Then you're putting your own spin on it. Then you're deciding what parts of the story you want to elevate or, or not elevate, how you want to frame the emotions, basically. So I think for me, it's been a gift that audiences seem to be more familiar with these characters than they were even 20 years ago. Um, I think the, what you said also maybe in your introduction that you were sort of surprised at it. I think that's a common reaction in a good way. I think surprise is good. I think, I think we can preview and see everything we're going to see before we go to it. So we take advantage of that sometimes and we look yeah. something up on YouTube and, I don't think there's anything that replicates being in the room with a performer and that guitar and hearing the songs in real time with a group of people. I think that is, you know, yes, you can do a recording. I love the recording. I, I'm glad there's a recording. You can even video it if you want, but uh, there's nothing that replicates somebody making energy with their voice and having it go into your ears <laughs> unmitigated yeah. by anything else. Um, that's, yeah. Yeah, so that, that it, the the response has been just awesome. I I was I was hopeful because I built up all these relationships through performing my Odyssey, so I was able to bring this piece to a lot of people quicker than I did the Odyssey. It took me a decade and a half to kind of build up my 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 booking connections there, but I knew because the Odyssey pieces had gone well that this this Blues of Achilles would immediately. Have, I'd have a bigger chance to bring it to people, and that's been true. People really seem to, really seem to respond to that emotional thread, especially in a song like that. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your research process and writing process? Yeah, it was. 
I always hesitate to use like words like harrowing when describing research because it's like I'm not out fighting wars or digging ditches right. or anything. But I, I think I resisted writing this, as I said, for a while because I was I didn't feel like I was prepared to speak for the characters. And there's a really good line about songwriting, which is that song, in songwriting, you can be whoever you want as long as you get the details right. I think that's true of storytelling in general. But, you know, when you sing I in a song, the audience is going to think it's you (laughs) or think that you've thought about those emotions. I think that's a that's a feature of this type of songwriting. And I thought this world of the Iliad, I'm not prepared to do that. I don't feel like I know these characters. I don't have the experience. I don't think I have the. Yeah, I mean, I could write in the Odyssey about somebody on a journey. I could write about a father Mm -hmm. and a mother and a son pretty easily when I was younger. These people on a battlefield, uh, the female characters especially, the male characters, I mean, everybody. Like, they're in this world that is alien to me. I'm not was I'm not in the military. My family doesn't really have that experience. So when I started researching, in addition to reading the text and leaning on my classical um, sources and things like that, I cast a wider net to war literature in general and tried to d- devour and, and digest as many things written about war as possible. I had some really good mentors who gave me bibliographies. So in addition to reading classic stuff, I read the things they carried by Tim O'Brien, a collection of short stories. He's a Vietnam veteran. I read all quiet on the Western front. I tried to read things that I thought would help me, would give me words and vocabulary and experiences. I read all the receptions of the Iliad. Clearly I wanted to know what other people had done with it, especially female authors. Cause I feel like there's, a couple really good female centric retellings, the song of Achilles and the silence of the girls by Pat Barker, which is also Mm. wonderful. And then I got stuck sort of after all that research and, and I expanded my net to include interviewing veterans, some veterans in my life that I knew and some that I connected with through other sources. And it wasn't until I had really gone through all that for almost a year that I finally felt confident and found my emotional footing in the story for the characters that was the basic process wow how long does it take once you actually start putting pen to paper and that kind of thing how long does it take you to develop a song or even the whole album well normally for me i I mean i don't i don't who knows about how comparing to other people how fast they work i think everybody's different I can write fairly fast, but this was, once I unlocked that first song, I wrote 15 songs in 28 days, which mm. for me is 15 songs is a pretty good like year, like of, of, yeah. of usable stuff. I might write, I might write 30 songs a year and get 15, but this was like, once I unlocked, once I unlocked my take and I felt like I had my footing, all that research and all those interviews just sort of poured out in, in just about all of what you hear on the recording. I went back and revised some and I added some and then it was a sort of like a, a modular thing of moving the songs around and making sure they were in the right place and getting the arc right. But really the, you know, 90% of what you hear came out in a month after, after the dam broke. Wow. Um, yeah. And you know, I do things like some, some songs are repeated in terms of the music very, very deliberately. I wanted to make use of bringing themes back, uh, bringing, putting them in different characters' mouths. I think you see that in, in Homer all the time uh, as well. And so it wasn't like I was writing 17, you know, separate songs in a sense of, of musically. 
but they are they are 17 songs and yeah. i also didn't i didn't throw out chord patterns that felt obvious and familiar to me because i thought that's something the audience like this is fam- this should be familiar to the audience if i if i make it like maybe i've heard that chord pattern before somewhere that's a good thing because then they can just focus on the lyrics. If you want to be part of a tradition, you have to play stuff you've heard before. That's what a tradition is. It's people putting their own spins on sort of stock chord patterns or stock song forms or things like that. So maybe that made it a little easier to write. I wasn't like looking for like, you know, these novel sort of chord progressions or harmonies. I was really comfortable sitting in that folk blues yeah. um, paradigm. Yeah. And I think that's good as a listener. I, I listened to a decent amount of folk type yeah. music and stuff like that. And it wasn't, you know, it, it was something that was again, like I'm repeating myself, but it felt like both something very ancient, but also it a modern music in a way, um, uh, which was nice. It's something that I'll be, you know, continuing to listen to. Um, so w- was there another song or two that you thought uh you'd like to play yeah why don't we why don't i go back to i got let me go back and play my invocation because that's Mm. that's the first song of the piece and we know you know the first thing you learn when you start reading homer is is pay attention to the first word (laughs) pay attention to the the proem you know this is where this is where the performer is going to tell you which aspect of the story you're getting that night uh what what is the I mean, for lack of a better term, what's the topic sentence of this telling? You know, what should right. I, you know, in the, in the, in Homer's Iliad, it's rage, it's manus. Um, get ready for the anger of Achilles. That's what you're going to get for this. In, in the Odyssey, it's man, a, a polytropos man, a complicated or many faceted man. So this is my invocation. It's called Somebody Loved. Uh, hopefully I won't fall apart in the middle of it. It'll be cool. Okay. <laughs> okay. I sing of endless blood-soaked earth And bodies crumbling into dust Man turned animal with rage Consumed by violence and lust Stretching back as far as time Long before the reign of Rome I sing tonight and every day For those who never made it home All of them were born All of them were blood All of them were flesh Somebody loved Mother weeping for her son A 
father begging for his boy. A wife collapsing at the news. A child puts away his toys. A friend falling in the fields. The body burned, the grief goes on. So many souls without a voice. So many ghosts that can't move on. All of them were born. All of them were blood. All of them were flesh. Somebody loved. Wow. You're a great live performer as well. Uh, thank you. I mean, uh, I've done it a couple times. So. Yeah, I guess I should have expected yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, you know, that it's a... Uh, it's a different thing live, you know, that's the thing it is. It's, again, I'm, 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 I'm willing to embrace the commercial part of having a recording out there. I think that's important. But even since I recorded at Memorial Day 2021, I've probably done it a hundred times, you know, so it's already starting to take on that oral tradition thing of repeat performances, yeah. creating variation. And, and it's, it's a really neat process because you, if you're not precious about it, you find things in your own work that you didn't put there, which is pretty wild. And I think pretty true to what an oral performance and an oral composer is, you know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, not that I'm an expert in the music industry, but if you, you know, one of the strongest elements of, of the music industry, as much as it's changed is the live yeah. performances. People are still, you know, showing up in mass to see live music um, even though so much else has changed. Yeah. I mean, that's still like, if you believe surveys, it's 85 to 90% of most artists living is live yeah. performances. So you, you know, with some small exceptions, you better be able to, to do the thing that they get to preview digitally, you know, on recording, you better be able to deliver. So it's, um, it's a great performance. It's just a really intense and gratifying performance to do. It's interesting um, what you were talking about with the college students and younger people having more context for the stories because there's been more adaptations yeah. kind of in popular media. Cause I, I wasn't sure. I thought it maybe could go the other way because the younger generation may not have had as much experience with war and some of these themes that are so important yeah. in the Iliad that it may not relate as much as it did in different generations during sure. Vietnam or something like right. that. Right. Um, you know, have you heard from, um, other generations and, and people with these experiences in, in reaction to the music? Yeah. I, I would say like the interesting thing to me, which I didn't plan or expect, I had some of those same concerns or maybe they were more, I don't know if they were concerns about the audience, but I, 
I had some, some anxiety or apprehension about how it would be received uh, because of what you just said. And, you know, this is another, maybe I don't want to say blessing because nothing about COVID was a blessing, but what I found when I got to perform virtually for all mostly college students, but also a public was yes, the, the narrative structure of the Iliad is about war, but it's really about trauma and anger and grief. And mm. those three themes are the same, you know, there's specific branches of them maybe or conditions, but I performed a song about grief, largely about grief in a time of mass grief. Like everybody was yeah. grieving on these, during these performances. I did not have to, you know, the emotional core of the, the way I present the songs and the story is something that everybody was going through. Like how, what's the relationship between anger and grief? <laughs> like that's a big one to me. And, and, it seemed like the pandemic and what the audiences were going through was sort of a great leveler in, in, the, in that way. Yeah, you know, everybody yeah. was sitting there going through this time. So it really helped me feel better. I don't say feel better, feel more confident that audiences, regardless of their knowledge of this, of war, well, they could find something in this story. If it was yeah. just a war story, I'm not sure it's as universally powerful as it is. It's about, yes, war creates the, War is the machine that creates the emotions, but there's lots of other machines that create those same emotions for people, big and small. It was a period of mass trauma happening across the, the world. I didn't even draw that parallel. That yeah. makes so much sense. Well, I didn't until doing the performance and talking to people, you know, talk, doing Q&As afterwards. And, and, you know, on top of that, you know, the week this album came out in 2013, 12? I can't remember. <laughs> 2012 was the week that the Ukraine-Russian war started too. So I'm singing songs about, you know, children being thrown from walls while there's pictures all over the yeah. internet of kids dying in bombings. And it's like, that's the tragic part that is, whether it's relevant for us in America is relevant all over the world all the time, whether it's visible or not, you know, for the most part. Yeah. So, And it's, I mean, the, the Iliad is... I don't know if it's the first war epic, yeah. but it's, it's the, it's the war epic. And, yeah. um, uh, it's, we're still thousands of years later, there's wars going on around the world. We're seeing, you know, all kinds of violence happening. It's, yeah. it's very, uh, relevant. Yeah. I, I get, um, people will disagree with me, but that's what being a classicist is. Um, but like, I think one of our, the issues in talking about war is we think it's an aberration when it's really, we have a long, we have a lot of data that suggests it's a human condition and there's times when it's greater and, and smaller, but it's, it's not something you can set aside as separate from yourself. If you're a human, it, you, you should think about it and try to deal with it because it's there. It's there all the time. There, it's, it's unfortunate, I guess, but that's maybe another thing I hope to do with this piece was to, create spaces for people to talk about that from, from all walks of life, from all experiences. And that seems like it, it works. It has worked fairly well too. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious, you studied the classics in college and had a good basis before, before you started diving even deeper to do these albums, when it came to the Iliad and the blues of Achilles, did your, did your perspective on the Epic change between before you kind of 
went through this process versus today and and what has that been like yeah that's a great that is one of the neatest outcomes most profound outcomes for me of this is and i learned this a little bit when i wrote the odyssey was i found i wrote myself organically into my telling of it. I didn't go in with an agenda. I'm going to write about this. I'm going to write it like this. I tried to think about the characters, think about what I could do with them and just stay open to what my heart told me to write about. Um, and I, with the Odyssey, that was neat because I wrote sort of a quirky non-narrative, very much like its protagonist um, piece. And, and it, it provided, it presented challenges when I went to perform it, but ultimately I think it's resulted in something that, is very true and interesting and, and connects with audiences because of the lack of my lack of sort of planning in some sense. And so when I came to the Iliad I, uh, and the Blues of Achilles, I, I really wanted to replicate the same thing. I knew I'd write about certain parts of the story because you have to if you're going to connect to the characters. And I knew certain parts of the story that had moved me in a way that, that would be would likely bring songs about. But the biggest surprise to me was I got halfway or two thirds of the way through and I found I was writing more love songs than anything else. Not mm -hmm. just Patroclus, but all the characters were singing about love and their love for other characters. And I'm using love pretty broadly to mean concern and care. Yeah. But that was a incredible revelation to me. Uh, this, I thought I, another reason I put off writing a war epic was I thought, well, what I do with one guitar isn't like war epics should have drums and distorted guitars and they should be, you know, and I guess they could be that's, that's, but there is a tenderness in war. And you, you read about that when you read soldiers accounts, there's, there's a love between all these people trapped in this terrible world, trying to get out alive. And yeah. I was apprehensive about that take. And then I read some um, essays. Uh, there's this philosopher, writer named Simone, Simone Vey, who wrote an essay called The Iliad or the Poem of Force. And this is after I'd written the piece. I finally read it. She says something like, uh, the Iliad, there's no form of human love that the Iliad doesn't consider. And I thought, well, that's validating. Like I kind of got to that point extremely organically. I put myself in this, in the character's shoes and I found that thread. And then I thought, well, you asked about audience reaction, you know, Homer, tells you he's doing the anger of Achilles. That's what his version, for lack of a better term, is about. Well, mine can be the grief of Achilles, like to go along with anger. Anger and grief are hand in hand. It can be the blues of, of Achilles. And that was, that was a real surprise to me. It illuminated the story for me in creating it in a way that that I didn't get by reading it, by studying it. It really opened my heart to it in a way. Yeah there must be a difference between just kind of observing the story, reading it versus once you engage in a creative process with the story, yeah. it kind of becomes, you know, you kind of have your own spin on it at a certain point. Yeah. Well, and it's the definition of empathy and that's what, you know, I became empathetic to ev every character in the story without exception, even Agamemnon, you know, like it, if you, if you put yourself in a position of being a human being in that, in that environment, you know, how do you judge? You judge a lot less harshly. Um, and that was really, and I think that's applicable to all sorts of storytelling, not just epic, but I think one of the most powerful things about the 
Homeric epics to me is they don't they they don't they just seem to present truths and they let you make up your mind. They they yeah. I know there's cultural editorialism in them because of what they came out of, but at the center of it is just this presentation about the truth of war or the truth of human behavior or and it's it's very powerful. It's it's it is open to you to be a mirror for you if you, if you let it, I yeah. think. It doesn't necessarily tell you straight out what to think. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, that's why like I'm, I'm sort of torn on some of the receptions that do make some of those decisions. I think that's why they're, I think they help modern audiences see potential. So like, you know, Madeline Miller's song of Achilles, uh, you know, making the decision about Achilles and Patroclus's relationship for you. That's part of the power in it for modern audiences. And I understand that. And I think it's good. I very carefully wrote mine to be exactly like the Homeric text. I, 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 I want the, that's why that song you asked me to play is phrased as a question. It's asking you what kind of love do you think we need to have for this to be believable? And your answer is, is your answer. Does it need to be romantic? That's on you. (laughs) Does it not? Is it just soldiers? That's also, I mean, I think that's so beautiful about the text and ultimately it opens the door for other people to come in and, and then, and, you know, put themselves on, onto it. I couldn't agree more with you on that. And I, I really love the song of Achilles. It's a, it's yeah, a great book, too. but it, it is just one yeah. interpretation. Yeah. Um, and, and Madeline Miller acknowledges that she took a, a certain interpretation and, and yeah. ran with it. And that was rooted in some of the other ancient interpretations. But if you look back at the original text, um, it's ambiguous. There's, there's nothing that says that they're lovers in that text. I know, yeah, that's I, um, I I I talk to audiences about that all the time. I I say you know we're not the first people to wonder. Right. <laughs> they start asking that, and and it's beautiful. It, it is what you want it to be. That is that is that is the the beauty of how it's portrayed. So I thought about that really hard, and I really tried to I really tried to just replicate what the text did. Um, yeah. And I don't, but I also think versions that make the decision that's like like you said that's another decision you can make you make thousands of creative decisions on this and yeah um, that's part of it i'm wondering is is there one more song you want to play for us yeah let's um hmm i'm not sure my voice has this one so you might have to swap in some audio um but the first song i wrote uh for it is i actually wrote sort of the last song of the narrative first it was the mm-hmm. one that unlocked the rest of it. And it is a song for book 24 when Priam comes to Achilles tent to, to beg for Hector's body back. Um, this was really the song that, that opened the world to me as a songwriter. Um, and it's called hands of grief. So this is book 24 Hector in Achilles tent. And let's just pray to the muse that I can hit the notes and otherwise we'll just like Homer, we'll fix it in post. So, uh, here we, here we go. Hands of grief. I'm before you on my knees Kissing the hands of my grief My son was cut down in the fighting And your hands took him from me Well, he was strong as a lion With a full head of hair Now it's cake with dust and rotten I still see him everywhere 
If you had listened to my warnings Maybe you'd still be at my side You knew the risk but fought for glory When he fell, part of me died I don't have much more to give To a world that's bled me dry I don't have much life to live Or many tears left to cry So think of someone who you love Who might someday be like me And grant mercy to my son's body And put him in my hands of grief And put him in my hands of grief That's great. That was one of the ones I hadn't heard yet. Yeah, that's uh, that's a. I was gifted an interview with a gold star father who lost his son in Iraq, and wow. you know, talk about understanding how relevant stories are. You know, old stories are. His story was almost indistinguishable from Priam's emotionally, and even logistically like his son's body wasn't recoverable so he actually went to iraq and gathered up dirt from where as close he could get to from where his son was killed and brought it home as his body (laughs) and it was you know you when you go through a creative process the universe or the muse or whatever you believe in your if your antenna's up sometimes it sends you creative gifts and and this gentleman talking to me and sharing the story was just it also increased my sense of responsibility to get it right because I thought this man is trusting me with this story and I need to, I need to do something I'm proud of that I think tells the story in in an emotionally real way because of he's giving me the tools to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, um, this is coming towards the end of the Iliad. Yeah. Right. right. Um, Yeah. And I mean, this is one of those parts where this is my favorite passage in all of literature. Like I, I, I remember reading it in Greek for the first time and, and, you know, like crying, reading it in Greek and I can't come to it. Every time I reread the story, I just wait to get to book 24 because it's, I think it's, I think, and this is something that it took me all these performances to, to finally get to. I think the Iliad is actually a profoundly optimistic story in some weird way. I'm not suggesting the conditions or what happens to the characters is optimistic, but it presents the capacity for human change through shared grief. And I think that's amazing. And it does it with this simple, beautiful act that is, is just presented for the reader to doesn't, it just presents this, this act, this powerful act to them. And it says, come, you know, come along. And I think, so I think I knew I would write about this part of the story. I knew it was going to be, I knew if I could get it right, I thought the rest of the story would follow because 
of how it's structured. And this was the first song I wrote basically was that song. Yeah. And this is where, and correct, correct me if I have any of this wrong, but Priam, who is the king of Troy comes to the camp to visit Achilles and to basically beg him to return the body of Hector so they can properly bury him. Yeah. Hector, uh, Hector was killed by Achilles. Achilles killed Hector in front of his parents. His Mm. parents are up on the walls watching. And then he, he does what would be horrific to us, but I think for that culture would be even more horrific. The sense of needing the body back for a proper burial was, was everything. And he takes the Hector's body and drags it across the plane and tries to defile it. Essentially. It's only kept fresh by, by the gods and Priam gets to the point where his grief is such that he decides to go alone across the, the plane to Achilles tent in the, basically in the middle of the night and beg beg for Hector's body back. And he gets on his knees and he takes Achilles. He kisses Achilles hands and says, I'm kissing the hands of the person who killed my son. And that makes Achilles think about his own father. And it's, it's among other things. And they, they cry together. It's just, you know, yeah. tearing up talking about it right now. Cause it's the most intense, powerful thing I think I've ever read to this day. So. Yeah. And of course, Achilles, was acting that way out of seeking vengeance yes. um, against Hector for, yeah. for killing his closest companion, Patroclus. Yeah, exactly. It's this chain of, of, of seemingly, you know, once it gets running downhill, there's this chain right. link of, of violence and, and, and vengeance. And, and it, you know, this is another thing. I think it is a war epic, but this observation that people substitute anger for grief, for true grief is, another incredibly powerful thing to take in it, 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 this, the situation this is coming out of is war, but it happens all over the place. You know, it happens to people over much more, I guess, mundane things and, and smaller personal things than, than, than what we see in the Iliad. Um, wow. Well, uh, once again, I'm going to tell listeners if, if you have any, you know, uh, you could come to this music without much, context for the Iliad in these stories and still enjoy it. But if you do have some context and you've read some of these texts or some of these novels or films or that kind of thing, some of these characters resonate with you, um, checking out this music will has the potential to sort of take it to a different level. Um, and, uh, I can't wait to listen to the, the album in its entirety. I kind of, when I find a song I really like, I'll keep listening to it, you know, five, six, 10 times in the same day or whatever. Um, so I haven't even made it through the, the whole album yet. Um, oh, that's great. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, that's the thing is hopefully, you know, I also sing from like, I, there's a song from the perspective of Chryseis, who is, is one of these women at the beginning of this, these girls at the beginning of the story, who's involved in the, the, the conflict between Achilles and his own commander, Agamemnon. And, I point this out to audiences, you know, the Iliad's 15,000 lines long and Chryseis has no words that she speaks, mm. not one. Yeah. It's just as important to the story as any character. So I tried also to find voices that weren't as represented and using some of these great receptions, you know, to help me find a, 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 a valid emotional perspective or, or give me the vocabulary. There's, there's, I think 11 characters um, represented in song. There's a bunch of characters that get one song. Achilles gets five songs. So there's a lot to, 
hopefully there's the obvious stuff you go into it if you you, you know the main characters but then maybe it illuminates some of these other characters in, in a way that that the text you know the text is sort of an opportunity for people to come in and 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 flesh flesh things out if if a, i say like if a character doesn't say anything how can you speak wrongly for them <laughs> you're not right. you know so yeah um well so are you currently touring this yeah it's uh it's seasonal you know mostly during school years but i just got back from playing at uc san diego which was great um next month or i don't know when this will come out but february this year i'll be in canada for a whole week doing shows in ontario in the april and may i go over to the uk and, and ireland to play mostly my odyssey but also a little bit of this piece so i wind up doing about 50 shows a year between the two pieces somewhere around there and i i basically go anywhere that people will have me it's mostly colleges universities but even within those environments sometimes it's in a classroom for students who are reading it sometimes it's more of like a lecture a public event in the evening sometimes it's both i mean i i tell them to just tell me what would engage your audience the most and I'll do it because I think that's also part of the fun of performance is it, it's not the same every time the rooms are different. The, the audience is certainly different. I'm different. So yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly busy with it. I'm also, I should say I'm working with a director in uh, and a writer in, in New York to adapt my adaptation into a full stage musical. So uh, we've taken the sort of center of the blues of Achilles and we've expanded it to include like an eight person cast that we envision as being a full theater performance um, with like 14 of the same songs, but also 10 new songs that I've written. So if there's any theater people listening who want to produce it, just reach out through my contact info. Awesome. <laughs> we're, we're looking for workshops at this point. That's great. That's a great idea. Yeah. Do you remember the last time you were in Kentucky by any chance? Uh, uh, yeah, I do. I played at university of Kentucky. A year and a half ago, maybe. Oh, okay. Like yeah, where are you? You're Kentucky based, is that right? Yes, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and I went to Center College, which okay. is a small liberal arts school, sure. not too far from UK. I actually yeah. think it would be a great place yeah. for you to go. Yeah, um, I would well, love to try. University to... of Louisville, there, there too, um, which has a yeah. classics program. Yeah. Um, um, uh, I think that was the last time I was there. I've played, I played University of Kentucky a couple times. I played. Years ago, I played Transylvania University, and then I also yeah, played in Lexington Center College. I want to say, yeah, is, Center College. That's where I went. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, Center. You said Center. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's where uh, that's where I did. You know, took some courses on the classics and whatnot. I think yeah. the first time I read Homer was there. Yeah. Um, and there's it's a, there's a chance I'll wind up back down there with the Blues of Achilles in the next couple of years. So okay, I'll they definitely should definitely keep an eye out. <laughs> They should definitely bring you in. Well, um, where can, before we wrap up, yeah. where can listeners find your work and follow you? That, yeah. That um, I'm the best place for the blues of Achilles would be the blues of Achilles.com. And the odyssey is Joe's odyssey.com. And then I also have a general website of joegoodkin.com That's all my classics related music plus music. I make that's not classically inspired of which I have a number of albums too. You can get me on Instagram and Twitter at, or X, excuse me, um, at, at Joe Goodkin. And I'm also on TikTok, I believe with that same handle. And then Facebook is Joe Goodkin's Odyssey and the Blues of Achilles. So I'm pretty active across all those platforms as best as I, I can be. And they, they have, um, I document my travels. I write through, I write about what I do kind of through my websites and there's a lot of links to press and other articles through there. 
Awesome. Yeah. So you're pretty easy to find. Well, I am. I try to be present. <laughs> yeah. This is uh this has been such a good surprise being able to have you on the show. Um, oh, man, I really appreciate it. This is, I, I really, I listened to, was it, uh, who do you, what's the homerist you had on? Was it Jonathan? Is that right? Burgess? Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm playing, uh, he's at Toronto. I want to say. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I'm playing in Toronto actually as part of this, uh, as part of this swing up to Ontario. And I thought that, I always go listen to the Homer stuff first on podcasts. Uh, I yeah. thought that was I thought that was really good. So I thought you I thought it might be a good fit to to do this. I remember talking to him about Achilles and yep. um, yeah, he's great. Well, uh, like I said, this has been one of the most profound uh, uh, interviews as well. And so thanks for coming on. And I I really um, am you know getting ready to pitch. The next time you're in the Louisville, Kentucky region, yeah. my wife and I will definitely be coming out to to see you. Um, excellent. excellent. Yeah. I appreciate, I love that. I love what you're doing for the classics with this platform. I think it's, I think it's all hands on deck with this material and to yeah. hear people present it in formats like this that are accessible is, is good for everybody. It's great for everybody. It, it, it it's just about finding people who are excited about it, who want to get other people excited about it. There's, yeah. I'm not going to say there's no wrong way to do it, but there's like a lot of right ways to do it. I think, you know, and we can't be, we can't be picky about that. We have to, within some very basic parameters, we just need people. I'd like people to think and I'd like people to have it move people the way it moves me. That's, that's really the most important thing for me. And that's what, and, and, you know, looking at, I've done a lot of research and talked to a lot of people about the scholarship and, and that kind of thing behind these texts. And that's a great place to go a lot of the time, but sometimes you just want to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what you're bringing to the table that yeah. is so unique. Uh, it's almost like just, you know, it's such a breath of fresh air to all of it. So I, I kind of um, point, I, I know I kind of point at book eight of the Odyssey when, and really book one of the Odyssey, when we see performances move Penelope and Odysseus to tears, it's like, that's the stuff should make people cry. It's heavy stuff. I mean, yeah. at, at it's, that should be the, <laughs> that should be a component of it. It's not the intellectual. I'm fascinated with that. I love it. But at its core, I don't think that it was passed on because of the way people thought about it as much as it was the way people felt and what it made them think about humanity. So. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for coming on Joe. And I look forward to uh, seeing you perform in the future. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. 